everybody, no matter what their role is, should approach every day with the thought that everything that they're doing in some way contributes to the success of that mission. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, I'm joined by Don Fox, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Firehouse Subs. Don, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks very much, Dave. It's great to be with you. Perfect. Well, I want to start with your journey at Firehouse. You joined in 2003 when the company had, I think, about 65 stores. Where's the company stand today, 16 years later? Well, we're now at uh, 1,170, operating in 46 states around the country, plus Canada, Puerto Rico. Uh, So it's grown quite a bit over the last 16 years. That's awesome. And when was the company founded? It was in 1994, uh, October of that year. uh, The founders, two brothers, uh, Robin Sorensen and Chris Sorensen, both uh, firefighters, and they came from a lineage of over 200 years of firefighter experience in their family. So that was the the origin of the, the theme, if you will, for the restaurant and still is the case to this day. What are the roles of Chris and Robin today? They're involved in areas that are, I think it's fair to say, are very close to their heart. So they, they are foodies through and through. So they are especially involved on the culinary side of the business. Over the years, we've developed a culinary team here. We have a, a great executive chef that's on staff, our director of product development, uh, Jay Miller. Jay, Jay, Jay does a terrific job, but he works very much hand-in-hand with the founders. So there is literally not a skew that goes into the restaurants that the founders don't put their hands or palate on, and they've got a great uh, knack for that. If you take a step back to the origin, of course, they designed all the menu items, spec'd everything, and we stay true to the flavor profiles and the commitment to quality ingredients that they began with 25 years ago. Well, I uh, owe a thank you to one of them. Whoever came up with the meatball sub recipe is uh, my personal favorite. And they are very passionate about that recipe. (laughs) I love it. Well, I want to dive in some of the areas you really spent a, a lot of time on. So, you know, brand purpose is a topic that really continues to pick up steam in the halls of business today. And you've said before that the catalyst for Firehouse's subs growth was really verbalizing that company mission statement. Can you talk more about what is the brand purpose and the mission statement of Firehouse and why has that been so important to the explosive growth in recent years? Certainly. I I guess let me start by expressing what the mission statement is, which is to carry on our commitment to and our passion for hearty and flavorful food, heartfelt service, and public safety. Sometimes mission statements can seem a bit cliche-ish, but in my view, they are absolutely critical. And as I think ours exemplifies, they, they need to be tight and concise and memorable and repeatable and, and most importantly, clearly understood uh, by the people in the organization. And that is from top to bottom. I mean, everybody, no matter what their role is, should approach every day with the thought that everything that they're doing in some way contributes to the success of that mission. And, and the mission helps keep you focused and you're not distracted by other, by other things. And, and not to say that always a, a mission statement is all that you focus on. I mean, the restaurant business is all complicated. You, you can't have dirty restaurants, for example. And, and while it doesn't mention cleanliness in our mission statement, by all means, we have to operate very, very clean restaurants. 
but, but, but you need focus and unity of purpose, and that's what the mission statement provides. Now, interestingly, our mission statement was not put in place until about 2010. I joined Firehouse, as I think you mentioned, in, in 2003, and, and we had a mission statement at the time, and it was pretty pedestrian or I would say corporate-esque in terms of its goals. It wasn't the type of thing that your hourly team members in the franchise community or even our company restaurants were going to rally around. It was more a statement of business objectives, I think it's, it's fair to say. And when I came into Firehouse, it was not as CEO. I was brought in originally with only 65 restaurants in the organization to, to head up the franchise side of the business. Uh, no one that was on the team up to that point really had a much experience in in the franchise world i became chief operating officer in 2005 we we, act, we didn't have a ceo i reported collectively to what was called the office of the president which was the principal owners collectively managing or, or, or leading and then became ceo in 2009 it was after becoming ceo and living with the existing mission statement that i thought there needed to be greater clarity and purpose around it but i don't even know that i would have created the same mission statement if I had started on it in 2003 when I got there. I, I needed to go through a bit of discovery myself. So in 2010, I sat down with or assembled the key members of our leadership team, uh, people that have been working for the brand over the few years leading up to that. And, and we collectively sat down and, and devised the mission statement that has served us so well now for, uh, for nine years. And as I, I tell the team, you know, our goal every day has to be to, to be number one at, at those things that, uh, that are in that mission statement. I and mean, we have metrics and very important that we measure that. And uh, we're very successful at it, especially in our, our direct competitive set. So proud of what we've done around it. So, you know, related to that mission, you had the second and third part of that really related to the fact that Firehouse has really developed a reputation not just in your industry, but across the nation for giving back to your communities that you play in. And so I think it was since 2005, the eatery has donated more than $44 million to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation. Can you tell me how did that start and why did it become such an important part of not just the firehouse culture, but now ultimately your firehouse mission? Yeah, giving back to the community has always been a central part of the brand's culture, and that began with our founders and their efforts from 94 to 2005 were focused on third-party organizations. Uh, Habitat for Humanity is an example. Muscular Dystrophy Association, uh, MDA, has a very close tie with the firefighter community, so that, so that was there was some natural uh, connection there. But in 2005, we did a relief effort out in uh, Mississippi for Hurricane Katrina. The founders put together a team of about a half a dozen other people from headquarters and with the support of our vendors brought out uh, food supplies in a, uh, a reefer truck and took our firehouse bus out there. And originally with the intent of supporting the first responders who left Jacksonville and, and shot down Interstate 10 to, to go help. When they got out there, they saw that the first responders were well prepared to take care of themselves. So, so they turned their attention to feeding and helping out the people that had become victims of the storm where it made landfall in, in Mississippi. And they spent uh, four or five days there. 
And they came back from that experience fundamentally changed. And knowing that there was probably more they could do directly in ways that was very much connected to first responders and wanted to take that on themselves as opposed to the, the third party relationships that they'd had. So, so from that experience with Hurricane Katrina was born the Firehouse's Public Safety Foundation and its mission quickly became to raise the funds and donate ourselves, of course, to purchase equipment that is vital to first responders, either to help save lives or protect their own lives. And it's broadened out a little bit over time. We have a military mission and education mission as part of it, but but the vast majority of the money goes to purchasing, well, more precisely to fulfill grant requests from first responder entities for vitally needed uh, equipment. And it took a few years, two, three years, to really get our feet underneath that and, and turn it into what was almost fair to say was hobby farming at first. Great idea, but we didn't have experience in the nonprofit world and had to learn a lot and then bring on some excellent staff. We have a superb executive director now that's been with us for many years, uh, Robin Peters, and she leads that organization. So, so it's really grown exponentially, very much in concert with the growth of the brand. And as you noted to the point now where we have fulfilled more than $44 million of grants, our, our customers are vital to that. They they contribute 65 to 70% of the funds that come into the uh, to the entity, and uh, we contribute the balance along with our, our vendor partners. Our employees are great participants in it. So it's a marvelous effort, and it has become, as we like to say, it's become the heart of Firehouse Subs. In many respects, it is our our reason for being. You know, it, it's our our bigger, more important purpose as a brand. And I think having a purpose like that is more and more important for brands today. I think it's important to note that our doing that was never never a marketing ploy. It was never with a business interest. It was just because that was part of our DNA and our founder's DNA and wanting to help and give back and, and serve a greater purpose. And I've, I'll, I'll just I'll close on the topic by saying that what we discovered over time was that it was very impactful for the business and didn't pursue it for that purpose. But we soon realized, uh, looking at analytics, uh, really starting about 2011, that the customers were rewarding us for our effort. And we have a lot of metrics that we can look at, especially as we became more sophisticated with our analytics. Uh, we, we saw that the restaurants that were most engaged in their communities when it came to the foundation and doing the most effective job of fundraising at their units. That became the strongest correlating factor with higher average unit volume, higher sales performance. And we, we noticed that ourselves, but we were, we were blessed back in 2012 to be the subject of a study by Cornell. And they have the leading hospitality program in the country. And they saw me speaking on this topic at the National Restaurant Association annual show in Chicago, and that led to them choosing us as the subject of a study to evaluate the, the linkage and the correlation between philanthropic work and business results. And they came back with an independent assessment saying that the strongest correlating factor to sales performance was, uh, more, more than any other factor, uh, that community commitment piece. So that upped our engagement even more and became 
just one more compelling reason for our franchise community to get behind it. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So I want to switch topics a little bit that, uh, you know, one of the concepts I talk about on predicting the turn is this one of what I call second order consequences. And, you know, that's where a broader change, you know, in society and industry might actually have cascading effects on a business that maybe isn't even directly related to it. So, you know, Firehouse and the restaurant industry has experienced this quite a bit with the rise of third-party delivery services like Grubhub and Uber Eats. So can you tell me a little bit about how Firehouse responded to that with your Rapid Rescue initiative? Certainly. And to give you a little bit of background on this, one point of differentiation for us was that unlike most, if not not all, of the, the major sandwich brands, the majority of our business historically was dine-in. And we reached a peak in 2012 of having about 53.5% of our business dine-in. And when you consider our experience, uh, the the level of customer service, the ambiance of the restaurant, the decor and variety of, for a variety of reasons, that, that was our best experience. And we were rewarded by customers wanting to dine in and, uh, and enjoy the, the subs and the experience. But starting in 2013, we noticed a decline and it was very gradual at first. And I, I wouldn't even say that in 13, 14, even in into 2015, we were greatly concerned with it. When it really got my attention was when we dropped below 50% for the first time. And I could no longer say, well, we're predominantly, or majority of our business is dining. We then, by, by moving up another percentage point and getting below 50%, came to wrestle with the fact that, well, the majority of our business is off-premise. And at that point, we started to shift gears. And, and it was a good thing we did at that point, and it was about 2016, 16, uh, and started to really focus on improving that off-premise experience. And that was primarily through changes in our packaging. You know, we feature hot subs. And one of the challenges we had was that for 20 years plus, we wrapped the subs, uh, what was called a quilt wrap. And uh, it didn't have the best characteristics, especially when it came to wicking away moisture. And, and we used steam to heat our protein and cheese. So it, unfortunately, it was a situation where all too often, somebody getting a sub to go uh, had a soggy sandwich. And so we had to improve upon that. It, it wasn't acceptable. And, and it took a big investment in packaging to improve that experience and to get it as close to our dining experience as possible. So thank goodness we made that move in a timely fashion. Because if we hadn't, I doubt highly that we would have enjoyed the success that we've had 
over the last couple of years. We'll, we'll fast forward to today. And, and over the last two years, there's been even greater acceleration. And it's not just for us, it's within the entire industry. And, and the way I like to define it, the, the issue or the challenge is it's not about growth of third-party delivery. It's not even about the growth of off-premise. I like to describe it, and I think this articulates it societally in a better way. It's the decrease in dine-in on on-premise dining. What is happening culturally, in my opinion, is that primarily because of technology, consumers are less inclined to want to dine in. And that's, that's, that's the manifest behavior. I mean, that is what is then driving the other forces that led to the emergence of delivery and people being in a need state where they would have delivery. But at the root of it is they're less inclined to, to dine in. And being repetitive here, but technology, I believe, is, is at, the, at the root of it. So you talk about other issues that then lead to an impact on our business. One thing I don't think gets written about or talked about enough is the shift in retailing, traditional retailing, and the ripple effect that has over into the restaurant industry. You know, e-commerce for retail now has grown to, I think, about 14, 15%. And, and uh, boy, that, that shows how much room there is still to convert brick and mortar retailing over to, over to e-commerce. But on the one hand, people might look at that and say, well, gosh, 14% still seems sort of low. But that 14% has a big impact then on restaurant traffic. Because traditionally, restaurant visitation has a very direct linkage to retail trips. Basically, trips in general, people being out on the road, driving, traveling, there's direct linkage to restaurant visitation. And people need not look any further than the holiday shopping season to see the reinforcement of that. In the restaurant industry, that period between Thanksgiving and Christmas is one of the highest uh, periods from a seasonality perspective. Even though weather conditions aren't great for it, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is people change their behavior distinctly in that shopping period. They change their travel patterns on where they're going after work, how they're spending their weekends, and restaurant visits get tied to those experiences. Well, as you start to erode those trips through the impact that e-commerce has and people ordering from home in their office, their, their retail goods, now you've taken away traditional opportunities for a restaurant experience. So what do we see? Well, they're, they're the seasonality that the, in, that the restaurant industry experiences in that November to Christmas, Thanksgiving to Christmas window is not what it used to be. It is much more marginalized, if you will. Uh, you, you don't see the seasonal bump to the same degree that you used to. Well, it's having an impact in that time period. Well, you know it's having an impact uh, across, the, across the board, across the, ent the entire year. So I, that I would give as attribution for some of the overall restaurant industry declines in traffic that we're seeing. I mean, the, the industry, especially if you look at brand visitation, the top 500 brands, you know, traffic was down last year, about 2%. Traffic in the industry is continuing to decline this year to the tune of one and a half to, to 2%. Hopefully there's, a, obviously everybody in the, in the industry hopes there's a leveling out in that regard. But so far that end does not appear to, to be in, in sight. And I'll just add to this one thing that uh, the, certainly we're cognizant of as, as a brand and, and the industry needs to be cognizant of is even though now there's $20 billion 
and growing in the third-party delivery space, that business is not incremental to the industry. Despite the fact that now there's been this shift of that much, that many transactions and dollars, traffic is still down in the industry. So the next thing I'd love to talk about is the restaurant of future. How's that differ from the traditional units? Yeah, there are a couple of primary ways. One is uh, we've downsized the restaurant, you know, recognizing that our dining business has dropped from 53% down to 38% of our business. We saw some opportunity to get some economy. Uh, rents uh, around the country have certainly not gone down over the years. If occupancy expense puts more and more pressure on the business. So if we can reduce some square footage, uh, that could be a good thing for the business model. Even reduce uh, business cost, uh, some of the cost of construction somewhat. So our seating, for example, uh, we routinely over many years required a minimum of, of 50 seats. Uh, so now we've looked somewhere in the low to mid 30s on uh, seating capacity, still more than what most sandwich shops would have, but it clearly reflects the, the change in, in traffic uh, that we've seen for our brand. We also had felt we had an opportunity to make the service system a bit more intuitive. Firehouse is fairly unique in terms of queue line setup, and it can be a bit confusing for new customers. Certainly when people have been to us more than once, they become accustomed to it, but we're still a relatively young brand and we have a lot of new development to do uh, around the country. We're, we're not even quite at the halfway point of, of where we envision being in the U.S. Uh, so we felt that there was an opportunity to improve upon that part of the experience, uh, make it a little bit more customer friendly, especially for the new guest. And we also wanted to optimize it for off-premise to make takeout transactions, whether the customer is picking them up themselves through our rapid rescue program or, or whether it's third-party delivery people coming to pick up the restaurant. We wanted to be as ergonomic and friendly as, as possible. And then last but not least, we had some key opportunities to try to improve our kitchen efficiency. Uh, for our entire 25 years, we've been dealing with a, a, I'll call a legacy production system, which isn't terribly efficient. Uh, it's very long, linear, uh, it requires a lot of footsteps, product being passed back and forth in the production area. Uh, it's not a matter of just one person making a sandwich, it's multiple people on, a, on, a, on, a, on any given sandwich. So a lot of opportunity to streamline that, get uh, better productivity uh, these days. It's, it's so critically important when we're dealing with some of the challenges in staffing uh, the restaurants. So uh, the early uh, assessment uh, after opening up the first prototype is we've uh, scored well on those counts uh, that we're trying to improve upon. And the one area that we're going to be working closely with our consumers on, uh, with, with our guests, is to make sure that the ambiance of the restaurant, the, uh, in, in particular the interaction between the guest and the team, is still as strong as it historically has been. In our legacy restaurants, all the production is completely open uh, in the open area to the guest. So everything virtually can be seen and heard. In the new lineup, there's still a line of sight into the production area, but it is a little bit more removed uh, from the guest than our traditional lineup. 
And so that's a key point of difference experientially, and we'll be keeping a close eye on that to, to make sure that's not a, a negative uh, in any way. That's wonderful. Well, the final question uh, that I'd love to dive into is, you know, in past episodes, I've talked with the CMO of Arby's and the founder of Boxed, and both of those talked about the importance of frontline employees. And you actually started that, I think, back, uh, you know, the beginning of your career working in an Italian kitchen in that exact mm -hmm. role. And how has you know, the rise of technology and all of the changes we've talked about really impacted those frontline employees and you know, the role in the restaurants? Yeah, I'm going to start out by saying that I'm very bullish uh, when it comes to work ethic of Gen Zs and millennials now aren't so young, but often people lump them together. But, but I, I think millennials and Gen Zs are great. We have great team members. We have, whether it's, whether I'm looking at uh, our restaurant operations or I'm thinking about our headquarters staff, great people who are just as motivated. In fact, in some respects, I think more motivated and more loyal and more willing to learn than boomers were like myself. So I, so I think they're great. One thing that is different is the way people learn. Now, that's not their fault. That's the way they were taught. And it's the influence of technology. And I think it's incumbent upon leadership, especially if you have leaders that are boomers, or Gen X, for that matter, too, that you realize that if you're going to help your millennials and Gen Zs get to maximum efficiency and productivity, you better adopt your, your training and your coaching skills accordingly. And I think there's still more work we can do in that arena. We've made really good strides in some of the training tools and the methods uh, that, we, uh, that we employ just as recently as the, this past year, year and a half. But we can be better. Uh, I think the real challenges that are out there, again, it's more, the challenge is more for leadership and senior leadership to make sure that, that we're adjusting and, and modifying uh, the way we lead and coach and teach. I think we have very receptive vessels for the knowledge that are out there. And one other thing I'd add, and this is something I preach highly uh, to our franchise community. In fact, to take a step back, you know, Firehouse as an individual unit, at the individual unit level, is a small business. We average about 725000 a year in sales. The typical restaurant has 13 or 14 people on payroll. It's a small business. Franchisee of that business should have very close working relationships with their staff. And I would submit, you know, unless they're operating a large number of units, they should be personally responsible for onboarding and coaching every single person on their team. There's, there's nothing more critical for the success of their business than the performance of the people. You know, it, it takes three assets to develop that business. It takes time, it takes money, and it takes people. Time and the money, that's the easy part. It's the people part. That's the most important element and, and the thing that's most critical for success. And you've wasted your time and you wasted your money if you don't get the, if you don't get the people part right. So that's where... Uh, owners, operators, managers, that's where they need to spend most of their, their time. It's, it's with their team and particularly important on the, the onboarding and the orientation element. So that so from day one, somebody joining that team, regardless of their generation, age, background, past experience, they know what your business stands for, your organization, what the culture is, and those things have to be ingrained day one. In fact, really, it goes back to the interview process is where it has to be ingrained, you know, making sure people are a right fit for it. I think any, any business owner or leader would uh, see much greater success if they put that at the top of their priority list. 
Wonderful. No, that's such a key point. So I really appreciate you taking the time this morning to sit and chat. It's been wonderful to learn more about your background and the uh, background of Firehouse Subs. So thank you for that. Well, terrific. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.